Objects, said philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, should not touch because they are not alive. You use them, put them back in place, you live among them, they are useful, nothing more. But they touch me, it's unbearable. I'm afraid of being in contact with them as though they were living beasts. After using my mum's old Tupperware containers as grief therapy after she passed away a few years ago, I became fascinated at how and why such a simple piece of plastic could hold so much emotion for me. How could these objects touch me so deeply? So I became overtaken with wonder at how my use of objects owned, used and cherished by her could be so powerful and therapeutic. Why do we invest so much in things? How could a basic, empty plastic container, a mere tool, make us so happy? And surely, in a world crowded with waste, disposability, materialism and hyper-consumerism, investing meaning in objects, in stuff, is part of the problem. And Tupperware, I mean, it's just an empty plastic container bound for landfill, right? Or is it a container of fascinating intergenerational stories? Well, I'm on the road to discovering the answers to these questions, plus a whole world of stories about us. Women, men, people, children, community, food, family, friendship, empowerment, and more. So Sartre, it seems, was onto something. Objects just aren't objects. My name is Megan Spencer, and this is Auspicious Plastic, a podcast. Could you say your name again? Amy Brand, and I work as a sustainability officer for a local council. Amy Brand is an old friend. Originally from Darwin, she now lives and works in Melbourne in the area of environmental sustainability. While she has a complicated relationship with plastic, she also loves vintage Tupperware and reckons she might even be a bit of a hoarder, especially when it comes to old stuff being passed down between generations. I definitely try to avoid plastic. And I'm known around the office for being a nerd because I have a glass bowl that I take to um, takeaway shops when I go and buy my lunch because I feel embarrassed working in sustainability and then getting plastic mm-hmm. takeaway containers. So I now have a mental list of places that will provide lunch for me in my own bowl. And I think most of them know me. And it's a short list. It's probably about five places. I think um, some of the places that are more... Um, I don't know, fast food is the wrong word, but like the, where they've got their very particular systems, they just don't want to destroy. It seems like they don't want to destroy their system by having this bowl thrust in the middle of the mix. But like everyone else, there's just some things you can't buy without buying plastic. That some things come mm. packaged. I know because, well, I haven't rifled through your cupboards, but you have shown me, <laughs> thank you, you have shown me two very beautiful pieces of Tupperware. Where did you get them from? Country op shops I'm quite addicted to. So if I'm in a small country town, direct to the op shops, and I found they have really cheap Tupperware, actual Tupperware, branded Tupperware. Mm. So do you bring your lunch ever or any food in, in those Tupperware containers to, to work, for example? Yeah, I often bring breakfast into work in those Tupperware containers. And what is your relationship like to those Tupperware containers given that they are plastic? Well, I think because I got them all secondhand and they were all cheap, it feels like, you know, picking up waste that otherwise wouldn't necessarily be cherished or reused. And they're such good quality. Tupperware brand Tupperware from back in the day is both beautiful, it's aesthetically pleasing, but it's also, it's really robust. It doesn't spill in my bag. It's just, it's really practical. And while plastic might not be the long-term solution, I'm all for 
trying to reuse the plastic that already exists. exists. Yeah. And it's fun. Why is it fun? It's colourful and it's tactile and, I don't know, because it's secondhand, it has this nice association of... I can't remember where I got it, but I I can picture inside of the op shop where I picked up some. I think it was in Queensland somewhere. So it's got this nice association. And I always think of some old grandmother or someone that would have bought this Tupperware and probably it was a big deal. Like, I feel like Tupperware was maybe a status symbol at some point in time or, you know, a symbol of good housewifery. And I don't know, it's just somehow nice for that to be passed on. So is, is there an element of nostalgia, do you think, with associated with something like Tupperware? Definitely, mm. yep, because there's a picture in my head of the old lady mm. that like, might have owned it. But also I think for me it's there's a little bit of, oh, back in the day when things were made well, which I know makes me sound like a really old lady and I'm only a kind of middle-aged lady, <laughs> but I think working in sustainability there is a certain craving for a time when things were a bit more simple or people really cherished the objects that they had rather than just disposed of them. And I feel like Tupperware was probably something that people bought and they held on to. And they must have because the fact that this vintage Tupperware is only just now turning up in op shops means someone's had it for a hell of a long time. Do you cherish your Tupperware? I Well, I'm not giving away any of my vintage Tupperware, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, I, yeah, I have lived in share houses with these pieces of Tupperware and they've always come with me because they work. Like, actually, at the end of the day, I wouldn't have them if they didn't work. Like, I love beautiful things, but if they don't work, I don't want them mm. in my house. Mm. And, yes, they're nostalgic, but they're also highly functional, which for me is the most beautiful mm. combination. And... What food have you put in them? Is, are there any sort of memorable meals that you've popped in them or dragged around in, on your bike? It's just, it's a lot of cereal and some very garlicky, stinky dips is probably the other thing that's been in them a lot for picnics. But I'm not a natural cook. But dips, they're like the clear winner, simple thing that you can make to take to a picnic in your vintage Tupperware and still be acceptable to your friends. These have travelled with you quite a bit, haven't they? Where have you taken these pieces to? Well, from home to work, which is not that exciting, but probably to most parks on the north side of Melbourne, Edinburgh Gardens and along the Merry Creek and the Yarra. They've definitely sat under a lot of trees. And one piece, of course, coming all the way from Queensland to the south of Australia, yeah. Um, Have you ever had people covet your Tupperware, like your friends, when you've busted them out at picnics and say, ooh, where'd you get that? (laughs) I've definitely been asked about Tupperware before, but I feel like my friends are like me. They're kind of lefty, you know, greeny types. Who would want functional Tupperware? <laughs> so it's probably not that surprising. I wonder where they'll go after you. Like, you know how a lot of Tupperware... My, my mum handed down a bunch of Tupperware to me or, you know, I, I inherited it and I cherish it like no-one's business for, you know, kind of some supernatural reasons as well because I imagine her hands using that Tupperware and um, now that she's no longer here. What will happen to yours, do you think? Well... It's interesting that you mention your mother because there are some pieces of other functional items that Mm -hmm. I have in the kitchen that came through family. Mm -hmm. So um, the kettle that I have belonged to my Orman Orpa and I don't think I will ever give that up because it's functional but it has meaning and that stuff is precious. 
this Tupperware I love, but if I left Melbourne, for example, I may not take it with me just because I would be stripping mm. right back, mm. but it would, mm. it would, it would go to a home, you know, it's, yeah. it's good stuff. I'd want, I'd want it to go somewhere that it would be used. Um, and revered by the sound. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah just. Yeah. I don't want it ending up in a junk pile. I feel like you can send stuff to an op shop and everyone feels like I'm recycling if I send something to an op shop. But I think now the op shops get so, so many things, like the volume that they get. It must be impossible to sift through and make sure you're mm-hmm. finding absolutely all the good stuff and separating the junk from the good stuff. So I think I prefer to pass things on to people that I know need them and will look after them. The op shop is kind of the last mm-hmm. resort. So, Amy, would you... Back up a little bit and just tell me more about this kettle. Like, describe it for us, this particular kitchen object that you do, in fact, cherish and have emotional attachment to. Yeah. So I'm not very good with years, but it's maybe from the 60s, 50s or 60s, somewhere around there, and it's a red kettle. It's enamel with a floral kind of pattern around it from that era. Mm. It's just very quintessentially that era. And I did actually Google it at one stage and I think it comes from somewhere in Europe. I remember reading that the enamel was of particularly high quality. (laughs) And and that made me laugh because actually the kettle was um, my Oma and Opa's travel kettle. It wasn't there every day. It was the one that they had in their camper van that Mm. popped up. I thought it's so classic of my Oma and Opa to have this very high quality thing that for them is just this object that they take camping but they would only have one of it and they would have taken it camping forever. And where are they from? They're from Hungary Mm. originally but both came, well moved to Adelaide when they were in their very late teens. Mm. They're no longer with us are they? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So is this like a really cherished family memento for you given that they're no longer here? Yeah, when they died, I packed up a huge amount of objects of theirs that I kind of felt at the time I couldn't let go of and came back to Melbourne by train with like six suitcases or something of objects, clothing and different pieces from both of them. And actually a lot of those got dispersed with my share house at the time. It was just like I couldn't bear just to throw things out. Um, but that, yeah, that sort of giant pile has slowly been whittled away, which I think is good, but the kettle is one of those things that I don't... You can't get rid of. Yeah, I just want to hold on to it. And it doesn't... It was actually a really lovely lesson because I think my natural instinct, which I've been trying to get rid of over my lifetime, is to keep everything. Like, everything has significance and I want to keep everything. And that experience with my Oma and Opa was really nice to think, I think if I had to do it again, I would probably think about what are the things that I can use every day? Because that's the beautiful thing when you can use something and you can see it all the time. It's functional and practical, but it reminds you of these people. I think that's where I've got to in terms of trying to work out what to keep when you're cleaning up, you know, yeah, lifetimes of stuff. It's funny because I've I've been thinking about this the last couple of days and realised I was actually thinking when I go, mm. all that will be left other than, I guess, memories, I hope, in some people, are objects. Mm. Like it suddenly hit me. I mean, I've cleaned up two estates in my lifetime now, but that's all that's left. Yeah, yeah but 
for you it's going to be art too. Like yeah. that's because my Omanapa didn't have things that weren't practical. Mm. And so that, I don't know, in a way that simplifies things. True. I think about people that love arts and the art world, you have all of these things that are so particular and they tell a very particular story about that person. I think you collect art over time and when you're talking about that, that's what comes into my mind. It's like, wow, what do you do with art? <laughs> it's very true. But back to this beautiful kettle, and I've seen it, and it is, it's a fine kettle, right, and you can tell there's a sense of history about it. Mm. And it is, it's in the um, clinic at the moment. It's a bit mm. broken and you're waiting to fix it. Mm. But I take it you have used it before. So what, what feeling do you get when you do use this kettle? I think it's just a feeling of comfort more than anything. I, I don't know about other people and their grandparents, but for me growing up, going to your grandparents' house was this place where you were special in a different way to how you're special to your parents. I don't know, it's on a different plane. And you get looked after and my oma and opa were pretty bossy and we definitely had to do chores and bits and pieces while we were there. But I don't know, all my food, you think about the smells of this particular donuts and different things that she used to cook. And I think just memories, those comfort memories bubble up when you use... Mm. Well, when I use that kettle. Do you get a sense of history as well or lineage at all? Like knowing that they they cherished it somehow. They had it for a long time. It was practical, but they had it for a bit. And it's very pretty. Do you, do you, yeah, do you get a sense of the lineage? I just more get a sense of amusement because I think they would think <laughs> it was hilarious that that is what I'd held on to. I mean, they had no sense of this idea of retro chic, like for them, that ke- the reason that kettle would have been in the camper was because it was old. And I guess they, you know, coming here, coming from war-torn Europe, the idea of being able to buy new stuff, I think for them was a bit of a status symbol and they were no, by no means, they didn't splurge, they mm. didn't, they were very careful with their money, but they did want to be seen to have the proper things. So... When I was cleaning up the house, I found the most amazing vintage dresses that Alma had put in the rag pile, and I wear them now, and she would find that hilarious <laughs> that I wear their vintage dresses that she'd be embarrassed about and put in the rag pile. And I think the kettle would mm. be the same. It'd be like, mm. you held on to that? It doesn't plug into the wall. Why would you want that old thing? <laughs> and I love that because they never quite got me, but they loved me. Mm. And I probably never quite got them, but I loved them. And so that humour I think is the history that the kettle carries for me. I'm Megan Spencer and you're listening to Auspicious Plastic. It's a podcast about objects and how they can bring meaning and joy to our lives. So given that your beautiful enamel kettle that belonged to your grandparents is sitting on your shelf it's got and it's got a little note on it which is sort of like I'm broken don't use me. So how involved is this quest to fix it and what's wrong with it by the way so this is a little bit embarrassing what's wrong with it so the enamel on the inside is chipped um I can be a little bit OCD and I had a really a habit of checking that all the um the gas was turned off before I left for work and all of that kind of stuff and I was trying to break that habit because it was ridiculous I've been doing it for years and I'm like I never leave the kettle on I need to stop And, of course, somewhere in that I need to stop is the one time when you actually do leave the kettle on. So very embarrassingly, I left it on the stove with 
with the stovetop running all day and came home to a very warm apartment, which confused me for quite a long time until I realised that the kettle was on. So it's it's a little bit singed on the inside and some of the enamel just on the bottom had popped off. Not heaps, which speaks to the article I read about how good the enamel is. But um, I've emailed a couple of places asking would they re-enamel the inside and have not got a positive response yet. Mm. So I think I need to get on the phone and start telling sob stories about how it belonged to my grandparents, actually. But I really want it. I've been very slow, I have to admit, in doing anything, but I haven't. It's sitting there with the sign on because I want to do it. So in a way... You could say that this kettle saved your, if not your life, your apartment, yeah, because the whole place could have burned down if it was a crap kettle. It's true. That's very true. It's good quality. (laughs) You've got to thank your grandparents for that. Although, equally, if it had a little whistle, that also might have saved me. What will happen to this kettle eventually, do you think? I have no idea. So I have a sibling that is about the same age as me. And I have no intention of procreating. And I often wonder what on earth is going to happen to all of my stuff. It's probably um, one of the things that keeps me from accumulating too much. There's sort of, I know, I remember growing up, mum saving, like she went through a phase of buying, there were plates with little rabbits on them. They were big at some point. They were very specific. She had cups and bowls and plates and we weren't allowed to use them. They were for her grandkids. And neither my brother or I want to have kids, which is a bit sad. But I remember that being a big thing for my mum. It's like, I need to keep this because your kids will one day want this thing. And I don't have that. And my brother's pretty unlikely to have kids. So I don't know. Maybe my friend's kids will get stuff. Maybe the world will be so different then that it's irrelevant. I don't know. The strange fate of our objects. Indeed. I mean, I'm speaking a little bit negatively, but climate change, the world is changing. I'm not convinced that when I'm 80, assuming I live to such a time, that we all have the same relationship to objects. I think it might have changed by then. I don't really know how, but I just, yeah, I think the way we live will be so different. But will Tupperware (laughs) survive? Well, it is lightweight and portable, so, you know, it's durable. It's got a chance. It's definitely got a chance. It'll probably be around longer than my non-whistling kettle. (laughs) That's it for another episode of Auspicious Plastic. Huge thanks to my guest or guests for their time and willingness to share their ideas and stories about the things that they love. And massive thanks also to gifted music composer and musician Jeremy Conlon, a.k.a. Cooper Black, for creating the auspicious music theme for this podcast. You can find the full complement of his music online at cooperblack.bandcamp.com. And if you'd like to share your story with me or get in touch, please email me at hello at themeganspencer.com or you can visit my website, themeganspencer.com. And thank you too, auspicious listener. I'm grateful for your time, attention and feedback. My name's Megan Spencer and you've been listening to Auspicious Plastic. It's a podcast made about precious objects, made with love and dedicated to my mother Margaret. Until next time.